Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Hello and welcome to On the Farm Pitcher List podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I am your host, Lamar Gibson. And I'm your host, Jake Mache. And today we are uh, recording this on the Saturday before the 4th of July. So happy 4th of July to those that celebrate. And uh, we have gotten the MLB Futures game uh, rosters announced to us. We're about a week out from the game itself and from the All-Star break for Major League Baseball. And so today we're going to be talking about the Futures game, looking at the rosters, talking about some snubs potentially and some surprises some folks that made the roster that we're a little surprised by and then we're going to do uh in the second half of the pod we're going to look back at our first half predictions so we're going to dial it back to a few episodes ago at the beginning of the season look at how we are trending with our predictions on some things prospect wise uh before going into the second half of the season um as always before we do any of that we're going to kick off with this week in baseball we have some um, interesting tidbits. I'm going to skip the first bullet point just to highlight the second one that you have on here, Jake, which I think is an important one, which uh, is that there were really no notable uh, MLBWs for pitchers in a week for like the first time all season. I mean, pretty much every since the season started, every episode uh, that we've done, we've had at least one uh, sort of like top 50 pitching prospect guy that has made at least one start, if not, you know, a couple of starts. And it's shown up. And so this was kind of like a, a little respite, a little breather, I guess. Um, we had highlighted uh, last episode or episode before um, some guys that we kind of expect to be showing up uh, soon. And in the second half, we talked about Ben Brown and some others. Um, so we're still be waiting uh, for those guys. It sounds like, you know, probably waiting once the uh, calendar turns and we get into post all-star break for those guys to show up. So a little respite there. But we did have a substantial major league debut, and that was from one Jordan Westberg. Finally, Orioles fans and many dynasty <laughs> uh, managers are like, finally, Jordan Westberg got the call and has stayed up, been up and stayed up. Um, so, Jake, with Jordan Westberg, uh, A, I, I don't know if you've said, and I don't know if I've asked, but do you have Westberg on any of your dynasty teams or even redraft teams? Uh, redraft, yes. I picked him up in the pitcher list league in Fab, uh, like a day or two before he debuted. And, um, in Dynasty, I have him on one of the four, I think. Okay. Um, maybe two, but I know I have him in one. And, um, so yes, he was definitely an exciting piece, uh, coming up for me because I, I definitely need them in, in both spots and get some, hopefully, um, you know, some momentum there for, for him and, and see what he can do. 
So the question continues, uh, I think, in Baltimore to look at them, and, and we've highlighted this a few different instances I have, especially as a as a fan, um, you know, with Westberg being up and staying up, uh, Joey Ortiz had come up for a little bit, and they had optioned him down, and it's getting to a point where we're starting to see that anticipated roster crunch in the infield uh, with the Orioles. And I highlighted before, like I anticipate there's probably going to be one in the outfield very soon as well. Cedric Mullins has returned. Um, obviously you have Austin Hayes. And we know that there's a couple of prospects that are beating down the door as well. Uh, Anthony Santander continues to, to rake from that right field DH spot as well. So it will be very interesting to continue to watch Baltimore as, uh, you know, we get closer to the trade deadline to see who who's still there and who gets moved out uh, and, you know, how aggressive, if at all, the Orioles sort of um, front office is, especially when we look at that starting pitching uh, market, right? The Shane Bieber and the Corbin Burns, who are kind of like the two headliners, I think, when it comes to trade targets, um, you know, is that is are those guys people that the Orioles are going to go after um, but with Westberg and his debut and, and, you know, the week or so that he's been up um, hasn't been as uh, electric necessarily as some other debuts. But again, with hitters, especially it can take time, right? Not everybody's going to be Dela Cruz. Not everybody's going to be a Ali Rushman. Like not everybody's just going to show up and go crazy. Uh, but what have you seen Jake from, just a little bit, the very super small sample size that we've seen from Westberg. Yeah, so I, uh, first thing I notice off the bat is that he uh, has as many walks as he does strikeouts, which is cool. Uh, again, small sample, but you always like to see that, um, especially getting your first taste of big league pitching. And um, he's hit the ball really hard. He has a 63.6% hard hit rate, but he doesn't have a barrel yet uh, because he hasn't hit a fly ball, not a single fly ball yet. Uh, it's been 45.5% ground balls and 45.5% line drives and then some pop-ups. Um, so that's obviously going to change in triple a, he ran a, where's the tab, a 32% fly ball rate, um, which is definitely higher than average. And so, you know, that's a typical kind of part of his, of his game. And so I think that we'll see that start to correct itself. Obviously he'll, he'll hit a fly ball at some point um, and probably a Homer, you know? Um, so uh, that's just kind of like a, kind of a quirky thing that's happening right now, but it's good that he's hitting the ball really hard. Um, it's just kind of like not super optimal so far. Um, so, yeah, I think um, he's been playing, I think every day um, that I've seen, he's been in my lineup most days and um, yeah, no, I think it looks good. And I was just looking at his, Again, his AAA kind of like batted ball data um, hit a 10.8% barrel rate and a 91.5 average exit below 110 max. Um, so I think that like he's got he's definitely got some pop and we've it's nice that we've seen it so far that he's um, that he's you know getting to the getting to the power a bit, but just you know needs to kind of adjust the the swing path and as he sees more pitches, I'm sure he'll be fine. But um, so far, uh, let me look at his contact rates real quick. He's at 88.9% zone contact rate. Um, love that. Uh, he's chasing a little bit more than he probably should. So I think overall it's, it's intriguing. There's nothing, there's no huge red flags. Um, it looks like he's adjusted pretty well. It's just kind of like, um, getting some more at bats under his belt, you know? Yeah. So I think, um, 
I agree. I think he's one of those guys that it's just a matter of um, getting those, you know, continual plate appearances, seeing more. I uh, I think that's interesting note about the fly balls or lack thereof. Typically, I think we see guys that have like hard hit rate, super high hard hit rate, like really good EVs, um, but haven't gotten into the power yet, haven't hit, uh, haven't hit a lot of fly balls. And immediately you look at the ground ball rate and it's like, something absurd, like, you know, 52, 55%. They're just hitting it straight into the ground. Um, so I think it's, it's very fascinating to see, again, small sample size, so quirky things can happen. But yeah. it's interesting to see, like, he doesn't have anything, um, you know, that that's a red flag from a ground ball rate percentage. Right. It's just 45% right. line drives. Right. That's insane. Right. <laughs> Which is, I mean, so, great. Like, line yeah, drives, yeah, yeah, love like, that. Line drives <laughs> aren't bad. Line drives aren't bad, but they're yeah. just, you know, they typically don't go out for home runs, right? It's, right. it's more difficult for them to carry into extra base hits. So, especially yeah. in Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. So you know, uh, interesting little quirk, but something to, to keep an eye out. Um, I always think it's funny when, or maybe not funny per se, but I always do think it's fascinating when we feel like we have a good beat on a player based on you know their minor league uh, record, and then they come up to the major leagues, and it's not like they're bad, but their player profile like completely changes. And we're like, oh yeah, this guy is definitely going to have like twenty plus home run power, and da da da, and they become like a slap hitter. And it's like, where did that come from? Yeah. <laughs> like, how did that happen? Um, so not saying that that's Westberg, but it's just fascinating to see. Uh, on the pitching front, when we're talking about prospects, we do have a um, debut from Connor Phillips of the Reds, uh, making his debut at Triple A. Uh, you know, we obviously have been paying attention to the Reds, just like the Orioles and, and their prospects and the impact that they've been making this season. Uh, as they've come up, we saw Andrew Abbott make his rise and now Connor Phillips is right there. We've talked about Phillips kind of a bit in the past. I think the, um, biggest thing, very similar in my opinion to Abbott is, uh, the command and the consistency with his command and control has always been sort of the thing to watch with Phillips when Absolutely. he came over in the Seattle trade. Uh, I forget which one, cause they made a couple, uh, but I know he came from the Mariners system. And when I was watching him uh, from the Mariners side, that was always a thing. Stuff was good, but it was a matter of could he command all those pitches consistently? He tends to uh, had tended to run uh, some high walk rates so with Phillips and his AAA debut and thinking about the Reds as a whole, right, where they are um, as an organization, how how well they're doing in their division, obviously they have all this, like, momentum and this upswell, uh, and we've seen how they haven't really hesitated to move guys. And being a Reds fan, like, what are you, what are you thinking when it comes to Phillips and, uh, you know, the, the second half of the season and, and going forward? Yeah, I think that he uh, will come up in the majors at some point. I think it'll be probably early September, if I had to guess, um, especially after this first start. It looks like there's some adjustments to be made. Um, and I, so I think that we'll see him a little bit, um, but I don't think he's going to be a huge impact. You know, maybe you could stream him for a start or two away from uh, Great American Ballpark. Um, but I think, you know, even going forward, I think it looks really good for him. Um, his first start in AAA was rough. Uh, he went 1.2 innings, gave up two earned runs, walked five batters, and only struck out one. Um, he was all over the place. Uh, his pitches were just like it, he didn't know where any of them were going. But you kind of have to give him a, a kind of a free pass because he came from the Southern League with the tacky ball. And so Andrew Abbott had a very similar 
situation. Um, like, you know, he walked, I think, Andrew Abbott, uh, it was like 5.6% of his batters in double A. And he came up and he had a 13% walk rate in his first two starts. Um, and it was like, it was pretty bad results and he was kind of all over the place. And then he settled in. And I think his last like four or five starts were great before being called up eventually. Um, and I think Connor Phillips is going to have some like a very similar kind of um, uh, development over the next couple of weeks as he starts to get used to not only the better competition that he's facing, triple A hitters strike out a lot less than than double A hitters and um, definitely a different situation there. But, um, you know, as he gets used to that, he also has to get used to pitching with a, a different ball. And um, so I think it'll take a minute, but his command, his command wasn't pristine in double A. It was just below 10%, but it was, it's still like right now it's obviously way higher than it's like 50% uh, walk rate. So um, I, if he gets back to kind of like the, like around 10% um, in a couple starts, I think that's a good sign, you know? Um, so, and his uh, we've, we've got some announced and got some stat cast readings and then whiffs and all that. And um it wasn't great, the, the stat cast stuff, you know, but again, it's a different ball. He um, got, let's see, um, six whiffs and 56 pitches. It's like a 10 to 11% swinging strike rate. Uh, not a lot of chases. CSW was super poor. Zone rate, of course, was poor. Um, but the velocity was good. He averaged 96.8 on the fastball, uh, which I don't think I expected. I was not thinking of him as kind of a, uh, like, higher 90s and right. pitching he got up to 80 he got up to 98.4 uh, was his max so mm. i mean that's good to see i think that gives you something to work off of and then he has a deep arsenal too he threw five different pitches curveball cutter sinker and slider um so if he can command three of them well and then you know maybe the slider is a good whiff pitch or something you know like there's definitely an arsenal there a profile that can turn into a really solid mlb arm um, and I think that, you know, his rough start at AAA doesn't really affect that at all. And um, I think we'll get the chance to see him in the majors for a start or two later this year. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i trying to look right now. You were talking about his arsenal. And so now I'm, uh, I'm uh, interested to see. So, yeah, numbers I'm seeing is 56 pitches total, 50% of the four seen, like you said, 96.8. Um, swing and strike was only 3.6, so definitely wasn't getting a whole lot of, uh, whiffs there. Um, yeah, more balls, more, more balls than strikes, it looks like. So fastball was running, running up, but maybe not necessarily, again, that, that command control piece. But yeah, it was all like way up, way up above this. Like you look at it, it's like his pitch map and it's like, holy cow, it's all over the place. (laughs) Um, but to your point, as far as like the rest of the pitch mix, and especially the breaking balls, curveball, um, got 15.4%. It was, it was, it was thrown 13 times, but 15.4% swing strike, um, cutter was 14.3%. And that's that he threw that seven times. So, you know, again, some of that is sample size, but it's good to see that there are some pitches that he was able to, um, throw and get some swings and misses on, uh, even though the fastball, it wasn't necessarily, uh, placement-wise, like you're saying, where you want it to be, but just something, again, to monitor. And I, I think there's certain guys, we talked about this kind of with Ben Brown. Ironically, he got blown up the start that we recorded talking about yeah. when he got blown See, up. See, his command day. doesn't exactly bounce back. It's it's yeah. a it's more of like a rubber band for him. It yeah. keeps going back and forth. And yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, some of that you have to kind of build into that pitching profile so you can understand the value. And I think Phillips could be similar as well. It's like you kind of know he, you know, 
he at least to start as a major league pitcher it wouldn't be surprising again like you said knowing the ballpark it wouldn't be surprising to see him in those high threes fours as far as era but it really to me it becomes a matter of i can tolerate that if i'm getting some decent you know k numbers some decent uh k walk numbers you know ratio wise if those go as well if for some reason and we've seen this in the past like he gets up the era is going up because he's either walking guys and or giving up a decent amount of contact that's getting through for base hits and he can't get enough strikeouts then that's when you get a little bit uh flummoxed right you're like i i can't really do anything with this pitching prospect because i can't run him out um to help me in any sort of category at all he's kind of giving me deficits everywhere so that is something to monitor is the swing and miss stuff and like you said with him being triple a easier to get some of that data up front to see exactly how he's doing looking at the heat maps where he's placing pitches so that's kind of phillips something to watch reds yet again um it was interesting to watch the reds Orioles series because it was like the two like hottest teams when you think about like prospect wise you know the momentum that's being built and seeing them going back and forth uh on that note uh while we're continuing to talk about this week in baseball and momentum and people that are really hot you have yankee fernandez we've mentioned his name multiple times uh in the past uh this this past season and uh previous episodes and he finally got promoted from high a to double a we've been waiting because he had been wrecking just wreaking havoc on uh high a pitchers and finally gets the promotion to double A and really just kept on going. Um, I had it pulled up here. Let me get to it. So he's played as of today, he's played eight games at the double A level. Uh, so that's 32 plate appearances. He has four home runs. Uh, he has nine hits in, in the uh, 29 at bats and four of those nine hits are home runs. So like, and then if you think like, Oh, okay, that's great. But like, you know, is he, like becoming more of a slugger or you know what's the average with the obp all that sort of stuff looking like uh swing and strike is a little bit high again small sample but it's a little bit um higher than it was at high a it's sitting at 17.6 percent in those um eight games but again when we think about building things into the profile there is a bit of swing and miss in uh fernandez's game but i think because of how hard he's able to hit the ball um and generally speaking making some good swing decisions from what i can tell now as as he progresses we'll probably be able to get more public facing data on how those swing decisions look but i think overall um the swing and miss stuff he's able to overcome he's able to counterbalance that so it doesn't affect um those ratios and obp and things of that nature as much as a more generic slugger would have them impact so yanker fernandez continuing to rise continuing to be high uh I don't, I just, again, I continue to kick myself over and over again. I traded him in the all season straight up for Kyle Stowers. Cause I thought Stowers was had each job locked down at the time. I would have agreed with that. Absolutely. I was really big on Stowers. Yeah, man. That hurts. I bet on the wrong left-handed hitter there. <laughs> yeah, man. And like, I just, the, the image of Yankee L Fernandez doing this in Coors yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, oh some people I've seen, you know, people love their comps. We've talked about this before. I've seen people pull out the Jordan thing. I don't think he's that. I, I don't think he's that. Uh, right. He has not shown that he is that mature hitter right now. Could he get there? Hey, sky's the limit for the kid. 
but what Jordan does as a hitter, like when he's healthy and locked in, I mean, there's maybe three or four other guys that are yeah. that good of a hitter. It's like Otani and Judge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's a very short <laughs> list. And they're all like MVPs or like MVP candidates for a reason. Right. Um, so I wouldn't put him there. I have seen like, and again, this is left-handed outfielder Colorado, but I've seen the cargo, right? Carlos Gonzalez. Um, I don't think he offers the speed that Gonzalez. Well, I know I'm looking at the numbers right now. He doesn't offer the speed that Gonzalez offered in his prime when he was healthy. Uh, but as a hitter, like, yes, we have seen what it looks like when you get a, a lefty that knows how to get around on pitches, that knows how to pull um, in cores. We know what it looks like, and it looks really good from a fantasy standpoint. So, Yanko Fernandez, uh, I don't, you know, reject folks, if you're listening, I think you can, you know, know the name, but I don't think you have to, there's nothing actionable for this year. Next year, 2024, I think that's when you start to pay a lot more attention to what's going on in Colorado, how they're moving this kid around and be ready to pounce. Um, this year is just, hey, know the name. Dynasty, folks, it's pretty much the, the, the train's been pulled out of the station. If you, if you haven't swung a, been able to swing a trade for him, you're probably not going to be able to get him. Definitely not for cheap. Uh, you're going to have to pay through the nose if if you want him. And it becomes a matter of, and, and let me actually ask this. I'm, I'm sidetracking the conversation a little bit, but it makes me think, are there players that you would encourage people to be okay with paying a kind of above market, even though the player themselves may not be ranked or considered as that above market guy. So like what I mean is if we stick with Fernandez, when end of season rankings come out, right. And everybody recalibrates their list and a lot of guys are going to get promoted. So that's going to bump a whole slew of people up because we've had so many um, promotions uh, this season. So a lot of guys are are coming off of prospect lists. All those rankings get shaked out, uh, you know, shaken down and, and um, smoothed out. A, do you think Fernandez becomes like a top 50 type prospect? And then my uh, ancillary question off of that is, if he is not, is he still okay in your book of like, I'm still paying a little bit above market value because I think he is going to bring the major league like value, even though he's not being ranked as top 50 guy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think I, I could see him being a top 50 guy after, after some more, a couple more promotions, um, and graduations. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I can see that, um, especially cause he's now at double a and he started off well, if he can, I think if he kind of drop cause let's his strikeout, it's a 37.5% strikeout rate in double a right. right now. Right. If he can drop that a little bit and um you know kind of continue what he's doing i think he can absolutely be because he has a 172 wrc plus uh in double a and again like you said it's eight games so like neither of those numbers should be taken as like legit you know so like he actually i was surprised to see that he only struck out 17.9 percent of the time at high a i would have assumed he'd be higher yeah i Um, thought that that would have been like so so when he so last year it was 21.8 percent at uh low a and then this year he only played three games at low A. It was 37.5%. But like I said, you know, that's three games. It, it, that doesn't really matter. But if you would have told me last year, 21.8, mm-hmm. I would have said, oh, high A, <clears throat> probably like 22 to 24. 
It would have right. been in that range, I would have considered. Right. So, yeah, to see not only did he drop it, but, like, he dropped it by pretty much four points almost exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I also did trade for him two weeks ago, too. So, um, you, got, you bring these guys up, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm helping somebody out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's great. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I um, a friend of mine was – who lives in Connecticut went to a Hartford yard goats game mm. um, like randomly with his girlfriend. And uh, he like sent us a photo of the field. And I was like, Hey, that's a, you know, Yankee L Fernandez is debuting today. Uh, or I think he, I, I was like, I think he might be like, is he in the lineup? And he's like, yeah, like, let me check. And he's like, okay, he's batting fourth. I'm like, of course he is. And I was like, this guy has like the most insane pop violent swing. Like you definitely pay attention to him. And he texted me like uh, kind of 20 minutes later. And he's like, dude just had one of the most embarrassing at bats, like swinging out of his shoes, you know? Um, and then I was like, yep, no, that'll, that'll happen sometimes, you know, for, you know, first game of double A. And then another, like, you know, half hour after that, he texted me, he's like, dude, just hit a bomb. <laughs> There it is. Like that was that was like a, one of the most insane things I've seen, and I was like, yeah, no, that see that also that, sounds that right. also you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It will be interesting to watch. And, and again, we we're talking about you know player profiles and how they mature. We were talking about that earlier. Same thing with Fernandez. It'll be interesting to see the rest of Double A, and then going into next season, um, where you would imagine it's somewhere split between Double A, Triple A majors. Like you know, assuming everything is on the up and up. Uh, you know, health and everything else. But it will be interesting to see, like, is there more of that swinging out of the shoes and then I'm going to run into one? Or do we continue to see that progress like we were talking about at, uh, you know, from low A last year to high A this year, where it's like, oh, actually, I, I can drop percentage points in my K rate. I can become a little bit more mature as a hitter uh, and, and be able to get, you know, again, overcome some of the swing and miss that's just naturally in my game. I can overcome that because I hit the ball so well, because I can make good swing decisions. So he kind of has two different paths. I think ultimately he's a major league hitter regardless, but it's just the value, right? One is, hey, this could, this guy could, once he hits his prime, because again, he's so young, once he hits his prime, he could be four, three, four years into a major league career and just hitting 24, 25 years old. And, you know, what does that look like? And then you have another, you know, the the other road where it's like, uh, maybe it takes him a couple years longer because he has to repeat a couple of levels. But, um, you know, once he does make it, it's like, you know, you can count him for home runs. Maybe not the batting average, maybe not OVP as much. Um, speed, obviously, we already talked about that's not a part of his game at all anyway. So then it's just like, you're really just getting him for the power. Uh, and so you kind of have to build that into how he fits into your lineup. Either way, like I said, he's somebody to watch. Very interesting. Um, love to see it. You know, I would love to see him in the home run derby. Like that. So oh he's, he's, he's that type of guy, right? Like you yeah. love to see him in the home run derby. Um, so yeah, so that's Yanko Fernandez. On that note, we're gonna go take a break, come back. We're gonna talk about snubs and surprises for the MLB futures game. Don't be surprised if Yanko Fernandez's name comes back up. So that's right after this break. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain, and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow, 
and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, and we are back. So again, uh, the rosters have been released for the um, MLB Futures game this year hosted in Seattle as part of the All-Star break festivities. And I'll be honest, looking at the roster as I was preparing for this, um, because I saw the announcement, obviously, when it was first released, and okay, I kind of just, I was doing a bunch of other stuff, so I kind of just browsed through it, but preparing for the episode and knowing what we were going to talk about, I looked through it and I was like, oh, it was one of those where it was like, oh, they kind of got it right. Like, there was very few places that I could see to really, really cherry pick. A lot of the names that um, weren't on here, like uh, we were talking previously, Jake, and I was like, oh, Evan Carter's not here. But I was like, he was hurt. He's just now coming back from injury, so I could kind of understand that. Um, there are some guys that were in it last year that aren't there this year, and I'm kind of like, oh, you know, that that might be a org thing. Uh, because also, I'll be honest, I don't know how – futures games get selected because it's not like it's a vote like the all-star game so i don't i assume then that it really is they turn it over to all the organizations just to say like almost like the fall league where it's just like you tell us who you want to show up and okay um so then it's more of a developmental thing so i could see if that is the case i could see why certain teams may say like hey we showed this guy you know the yankees showed jason dominguez last year we don't need to show him again like we're good um, Mason Wynn, you know, was a guy that obviously was in last year's game and Cardinals can be like, it's cool. Like he, he got that exposure and like, we're focusing on some other things. So you may not need to repeat. Um, but then you have the athletics and Lawrence Butler, he was there last year. He's there this year. So that's always kind of interesting to watch, but looking at some surprises, uh, in some snubs, there were a couple that we were able to pull out here. Um, so looking at the outline, let's see, you want to start, where you want to start? You want to start snubs or surprises? Uh, I'll start with snubs. And I am personally offended at uh, one of these guys. Um, one of my favorite prospects, uh, Adele Amador with the, with the Rockies. Um, man, like he's just so good. I mean, like he has never been bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. walks more than he strikes out. Uh, and he has like it's a sneaky pop. Um, you know, I think he has more pop than Tovar, um, and he's a pretty efficient base dealer. His WRC plus numbers have been, uh, a gaudy this year. It's 140 in, yeah. in high A. Yeah. Um, so it's like, uh, man, I think he just missed, you know, yeah. there are some other guys that, that made it. And I was like, yeah, I can see that. But like, man, I wanted to see. Yeah. I'm going to do it on here. Uh, we talked about, you know, our, our sort of little tie in. We talked about Yankee Fernandez uh, before the break. He's not on this list. Don't really understand that one at all. I'll be honest. Like he's yeah. been raking again, going back to last year. So like, how do you not put him on the list uh, or put him on the roster? I should say, yeah. I'm 140 WRC plus a high a 10% K rate. 12% walk rate like who does that with a 212 ISO with 12 stolen bases out of 16 attempts 
just kind of giving you a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Plays a really good shortstop. Um, so yeah, Amador is another one. Uh, you actually, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this back to you, Jake, because you were actually giving me some information that I didn't know. Wilmer Flores, the other Wilmer Flores, Detroit's Wilmer Flores, the brother um, of the other Wilmer the brother Flores. Of the other yeah. Wilmer, Flores. <laughs> um, Wilmer Flores not on the list, and you brought him up as a potential snub, and I was like, ah, his season has been not nearly as good as last year, though, and you were telling me not so fast. So you want to kind of. Re- regurgitate that conversation that we were having. Yeah. Um, so Wilbur Flores, he started popping up in, in my research for the Pitchers to Stash article um, when I noticed he had, you know, gotten some a few good starts in a row and I and his numbers didn't look great, you know. So I went back and looked at his game logs. At his second start of the year, he went 1.2 innings, gave up six earned runs, struck out one. Second or third start of the year, right after that one, 2.2 innings, seven earned runs, struck out three killed his ratios right off the bat and since then it's been significantly better he's only given up more than two earned runs once in one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven in 12 starts he has given up three earned runs once and every other start has been zero one or two um and recently in his last three starts uh we're looking at um 17 innings two earned runs and 17 strikeouts um his walk rate's gotten better over the last few starts as well um and so you know look he's i think he's the guy that we thought he was last year and he i think it's just kind of that start those first two or the second and third were just so brutal and it's really hard to come back from that and even now unless what's his era at right now it's he's got it back down to 3.65 with a um 3.5 FIP and a 4.04 X FIP. Um, so yeah, you know, he, he has a lot overall, he has lost a bit of a strikeout rate, um, but it's gotten a little better recently. And I, I think that he gets a call up to triple a pretty soon. I, I'd say like around the all-star break or so, you know, like going into the second half. Um, I think that he gets one. Um, and then the tigers don't have a lot blocking mm-hmm. the, you know, there there's, they've, de- they've dealt with so many injuries. A lot of their core guys that we were looking at like a year or two ago, like, you know, Casey Mize, Tarek Scooble is coming back. Um, Matt Manning's like, out today or something soon. Um, so, you know, it's like, you know, they have a lot of kind of like moving parts and they've been piecemealing, I think their rotation together. And I don't think that's going to magically be solved right. over the next like month or two. So I don't think it's out of the realm that we see him for a start or two in September. Do you think uh, – actually, two things come to mind. One, uh, with Flores, so that's another one where there's a potential for – again, I don't know exactly how the futures rosters get determined, but that could be one where Detroit says, like, hey, he played last year. We don't need him to play him – you know, don't need to play him again if they have a say in it, which I assume they have some sort of say. Um, so that makes sense. But the two things that come to mind is – uh, do you think that they could um, that there's a buy low opportunity for Flores if you believe like the stuff is there and the numbers are kind of covering that up? So do you think that there's a, a good buy low as we go into the All-Star break? People are kind of looking through their roster, doing some, you know, getting ready for the second half. They may look at those, you know, the ERA, the FIP, et cetera, lower K rate and say, ah, like kind of like what I was saying, like, ah, Flores kind of having an off year. You might be able to swoop in. Right. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you definitely could. Uh, like he was dropped in one of uh, one or two of my leagues that I was in earlier this season, and I, I picked him up in in one of them. And 
Um, you know, like I think that he he was really kind of like um, in in a year where so many pitchers have taken huge steps forward. We've seen so many rookie pitchers in the majors, and guys I think have been making pretty quick work of AAA. Like um, there's been so much hype around rookie pitchers. I think some guys fall through the cracks, you know. And um, like we were just talking about Gordon Graceffo last week, you know, like he hasn't been bad, but he just had that injury. Like he had Libertor, like hit the ground running and took all of the spotlight there, you know, when made the MLB rotation and is still in the rotation. And then, you know, Graceffo just comes back from injury and we're like, oh, yeah, like that guy still exists. OK, like he was a top 100 prospect going into the year, you know, um, and I think Flores is similar. It's like the year starts and the guys are like blowing out the doors and just like, you know, getting promotions and, and all these things are happening. And then you got this one guy kind of lagging behind and you're like, all right, like I, I can't spend that time on him. Like he's going to take some time. Like I'll come back to him later. And then he quietly kind of just like starts working his way back. And then all of a sudden you're like, all right, okay. Like this is now um, interesting again. So I think that if it, it's going to happen soon, I think as soon as the promotion happens, of course, there's going to be a lot of like uh, just like, hype about that on on twitter and um but i think that right now kind of in this spot where it's like okay it looks like he's definitely ready and it hasn't happened yet and he's been a lot better recently i think there is definitely a little bit of a window right now to get um a bit of a discount so that's the one thought that i have about flores the second thought that i have uh kind of more organizationally is who do we see first in the major leagues him or ty madden uh my bet's on him right now really interesting any particular reason is it more about him or more about or or more about like you're not as in on madden is it more like um Horace has it or madden doesn't because i yeah, would say so, the other way around um so with madden i'm trying to kind of compare um yeah they have very similar results they were both in double a for a little bit last year um pretty similar to like development paths it looks like um, but I've just I've been paying attention to both because they're both on my watch list for the the pitchers to stash article, and it's I think it's just that Flores has has caught my attention more um, as I'm kind of like I'm you know checking the box scores and everything every week and um, like the strikeout rates and and all that stuff right and so I, I think it's just kind of like he has stuck out to be more as like making him making improvements and getting better recently where Ty Madden, it seems like he takes a step forward, half step back, like has times like you saw him in person and you said he looked electric. Um, and like, I have, I, you know, I obviously have not, and I haven't watched a ton of his starts, but, um, I think just looking at kind of like the, the trajectory of the season, I think Flores is kind of like, pretty consistently up you know and he hasn't he's kind of avoided some some blowouts or some messy outings where he's lost command and whatnot and i think ty madden is like he just kind of has a setback here and there more often uh that's just kind of the vibe i've gotten from paying attention to to both of these guys here and there um but i haven't done like a deep dive on either one um and i haven't you know seen them pitch in person or anything like that so that's just kind of where my vibes are at after just like paying attention pretty loosely over the last month or so yeah i think i might uh i think the other reason i might be in on more on madden making the debut first is especially looking at them calling up reese olsen who ironically i had for like dirt cheap on my team and i dropped him like a month before he got the promotion because he looked terrible and triple uh, terrible might be a bit high hyperbolic but he did not look very good at all and he's come up and mostly been like quite good for 
the Tigers, and I still don't really know how because like there's nothing that indicates like he's like made a significant change in pitching or added velocity or any of the you know typical indicators that we see. So I don't know if it's just one of those weird baseball things or if we should be expecting regression with Reese or what. But um, I definitely would put Ty Madden over Reese Olsen just thinking about stuff and capability. And I would probably put Flores and Olsen being similar. So, I mean, I know, I know organizations don't think of it necessarily that way. Sometimes they do, but not always like we do in, in fantasy, but just my thought process here. And also uh, the other thing that I want to look at is, and I'm pulling it up. I should know, but uh, man, so man is what? 23. And Flores is, I feel like Flores is younger. Oh, not, not by much. Flores is 22. Um, they're literally both born in, in February. So I was going to say, I thought there was a, a more of an age difference there. That was an, yeah. another reason I was going to go with Madden, but not as yeah. much as I and thought. Flores, I think, got the call to Double A last year quicker. Um, he did. He yeah. did. But, yeah. I mean, he, he that was, you know, that was definitely well-deserved. Uh, yeah, he was, was he had like a one-point-something ERA in high A. So just interesting. Uh, so that's one with Flores. Yeah. Uh, continuing on, a couple of other snubs. Um, so this one, I I have one here as a snub that is probably a very strong word because this is definitely not a like top one hundred, arguably not even top two hundred prospect. But just looking at the season that's been had, and that's Austin Shinton um, of the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, a couple of things here. Shin is uh, a bit older. Like I said, he's definitely not a, a pedigreed prospect. So when you think about the All-Star um, or the MLB Futures game, it tends to be, you know, a platform for guys that we've been hearing about for a while, uh, high draft picks, et cetera. Um, and Shinton is, is not that. But when you look at the season that's being had, and I had it up, let me make sure it's still here. Um, so at the AA level, Shinton is second in w among qualified here second in wrc plus uh second to kobe mayo who also not on this list um so it's like two snubs for the price of one um but he's having uh austin shinton is having uh a, you know a three four five season 318 is the average 426 is the obp 592 is slugging um iso is 275 the problem that i foresee with him and, and he was somebody that uh popped on my radar shout out to kyle goings in digs pitcher digs and um bags right his his hitter version of digs um he and i had a quick conversation at the end of the 2021 season because shinton was scoring very highly in that bags rating system and nobody like i never heard of his name before so i expected a lot of um, last year didn't really show that this year he's back on the scene uh however with all that being said uh it's first base only like definitely not super athletic and we already see like now we're concerned about what's going on with curtis mead obviously he's returning back from injury kyle manzardo is already kind of like looking like the first baseman potentially of the future so now you have yet another bat um that you can't really move around and again organizationally we know that tampa bay likes having guys that have that flexibility because they tend to have a lot of similar player profiles when it comes to hitters so they like to yeah, yep. mix and match yep. um so i could see austin shinton running into a problem there but i mean the numbers are i'm pulling up the uh 
the full-on fan graphs here, but the numbers are quite interesting to see. And I want to see in comparison to last year in 2021 as well. So yeah, he's 25. Um, he is, well, something else to notice and appreciate this. He is R5 eligible. So, you know, Tampa does not like to lose out on guys and just let them walk. They're normally the guy, they're normally the team that grabs those types of guys off the, yep. you know, off the, uh, the, the pile from other teams. So that could not necessarily boost his value per se, but expedite his proximity because right. they may want to get him on the 40 man and protect him. And that may also include getting him a look in the major leagues. Maybe, maybe, maybe they let him go. I don't know. Um, he did come over from uh, Seattle, something else to, to note. Um, and so his 2021 was split between Seattle at high A. And then when he uh, got traded over, oh, I'm sorry. He did make it to double A with Seattle. I forget. Fangraphs has this kind of in a weird way. Had a, had a handful of games at double A with Seattle before he came to Tampa Bay. Um, but overall, I mean, 162 at high A, one as far as WRC plus, 144 in 10 games, and then it went to 103. So that's probably in the one, what, 130s, if you average that out for WRC plus. Um, at the double A level, repeated double A last year. And yeah, last year you look full season of double A, 236, 338, 415, 179 um, ISO, eight home runs, nine doubles. One literally a 100 WRC plus 30.7 percent um K rate, so like nothing of note there. So, this is yet another year. So, these are all things to keep in mind. Yet another year, um, in double A, but again, R5 eligible, putting up the home runs. K rate has come way, uh, has come back down 25.5 percent. So, I, I could see Tampa at least pushing them into triple A. And really kicking the tires on him to see like who is he really? How does he actually fit into their system? Maybe they you know package him in a deal because you know we know Rays always like the wheel and deal. Maybe they send him off, um, or again maybe they add him to the forty to protect him against uh, Rule Five draft in the off season. So again, snub very strong. I, I wouldn't. <laughs> I just wanted to kind of talk about him. I threw him on right before we started recording, but just wanted to highlight the name um, of Austin Shinton as we're going into uh, the second half of the season, last snub that we definitely have on here is looking through uh, the NL roster. No Dodgers pitchers, no pitching prospects from the LA Dodgers. Now there's two sides of that argument. One side says, well, they promote all their pitchers. They're in the major yeah. league. You know, Bobby Miller is a major league pitcher and machine is a major league pitcher, but we know that they still have a slew of guys, Nick Frasso, Nick Nestrini, um, Landon Knack, like we can go on and on and on. So to see no pictures from the Dodgers, and I didn't do this, uh, and it may take me a little bit longer than I would like to try to look up, but um, I want to see if I can find it. I want to see if I can quickly try to find the last time that the Futures game, and I know they've they've revamped it because they did have the uh, they did. For a long time, instead of doing the ALNL, they had the world or like international versus oh, yeah. piece too. But I'm just curious, like when was the last time the Dodgers didn't have any pitching prospect uh, showing up on the roster? But while I try to do that, is there anything that you want to say, Jake, to kind of <laughs> secure some time? Here? 
Um, let's see here. Uh, yeah, with the Dodgers pitchers, like Tulsa has been such a story, like the whole season. Uh, you know, Tulsa Drillers. Um, yeah, Double A. I think yeah, Double A, mm-hmm. right for mm-hmm. the Dodgers. Uh, that like their staff has been incredible. Like their, uh, I think it was like their average fastball velocity has been like on par with major league teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been like just one after another after another they get sent out to triple a they get right to the majors like we saw um like emmett sheehan had that week where he was promoted twice and didn't even see triple a and then made his debut and he's he's stuck so far um and so the yeah the fact that like that's been one of the biggest stories of the minor leagues this year is that like the dodgers have this like super team down at tulsa that's just pumping out like major league ready arms and like developing just as good as if not better than like any other organization pitching you know so and and then there's nothing in the futures game i think that's just kind of funny and it it just kind of speaks to um the the nature of the dodgers like you said to just like to push guys up it's like once you have it all right get going um and then also just like the the way that the roster is constructed for the futures game you know um i'm looking through here so i went all the way back i just started like Back in what is this? This is 2016. So yeah, this is still World versus US. Uh, now nah, obviously guys get traded around, so I'm kind of going off of memory here. Uh, Bigford is here, but Bigford was on the Brewers first, right? Bigford, uh, Phil Bigford got traded from the Brewers to the Dodgers. I want to say, uh, or did I, I, just, I, I may have just reversed it. Uh, let's see here. I have it pulled up. And this is 2017. Yes, he was on the Brewers in 2016. Yeah, so that does 2020. So, 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 if I'm looking at this correctly, and I definitely could be wrong, and I'm sure there will be people out there that will be correcting us, but so this is 2016. It looks like the 2016 roster would be a roster of no Dodgers. Um pitchers uh i don't recognize this i'm looking at the box score as well so that doesn't that doesn't make things easy because it's a lot of like mejia and lopez and it's like well who who's that person yeah. um so not as not as easy a search as i would like but yeah but it's been and, a while yeah but i mean you can definitely assume right if we go back to we know obviously last year 2021 you can probably go back the last you know i would feel confident saying the last what three years right maybe 2018 is the last one um where you have no dodgers pitchers at all um on the roster so like you said just an interesting quirk but again i in many ways it's kind of yet another feather in the cap of the dodgers that when they have these guys and they feel like they're ready like we don't really have to waste a whole lot of time with um you know putting them on display and platforming them like we can just move them to the major league uh level and and uh have those have those arms ready for us um so those are kind of like the snubs that we came up with i'm sure and there's other names we talked about um evan carter he's been hurt uh kobe mayo like i I think you could definitely put on put uh, him on this list but then you could probably put like half of the orioles (laughs) um like farm system on this list and they already have about half of the farm system represented because holidays here um, curse that's here. There's, there's some other. So, um, is, let me ask this before we go to, um, another break. What, how would you, let, let me ask this. You were in charge of 
All-Star Weekend, right? Like Rob Manfred comes yeah. to you and says, like, yeah. hey, All-Star Weekend, you're in charge. He says, these are things that have to remain. Got to have the All-Star game, obviously. Got to keep home run derby, obviously. Um, Got to have a sort of futures all-star like prospect type game however you want to label it however you want to do it that's up to you everything else like whatever you want putting you on the spot jake like what is your ideal the sort of like mlb all-star weekend outside of obviously the all-star game itself and home run derby are there events that you want to add yeah. Um, yeah. Is there a tweak that you would add to the Futures game? Would you make the Futures game nine innings instead of the seven and just be like, hey, just give us all the arms. We don't care. Right, because it's – I think that you could – I think you could definitely make it nine innings and just roster a couple more players. Right. You know, like you have that capability. Um, you don't have to like use anyone for longer than what they should be. You just get a couple more players on the roster, highlight some more people, you yeah. know. Um, and I think – I, you know, I don't remember the conversations around that when the, you know, change was, when it was instituted at seven, but, um, you know, I think maybe it's that, you know, it's, these are a bunch of young prospects. Maybe the attention span isn't there of like fans. Like we don't really know who these guys are, you know? Um, but I think that it's just, I mean, it's great for the players to play on a major league field to just be around that, the weekend, the festivities and everything. And so like, I mean, I would like to see more, more baseball for prospects, you know? So, um, uh, yeah, I think definitely making it a nine inning game sounds great, and um, I do like that they have made it so the draft is happening and the was, same spot I too. Was just about to ask about that. Yep, that's where I was going with it. I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say it, but I was, <laughs> I was, yes, I was sending out those vibes. So you yep. are on board with having the draft around. The, yeah, uh, the All Star break. Now, the reason yeah. why I, I say it that way is because um, I know that I want to say it's the athletic has done some reporting like. That is not uh <laughs> that's not how major league baseball teams would like. Like a lot of mm-hmm. scouts and a lot of execs complain because it crunches their time. Because yeah, they're absolutely. trying to figure out trades along with how their draft board is gonna like line up at the same time. Mm-hmm. Where before um the draft was what end of because it was still after no i'm sorry it was before the college world series it used to be like months previous right they moved it later because i remember that was the thing is guys would be playing in the college world series but already have gotten drafted by their mlb team okay yeah so yeah yeah, that's what it was they moved this to be later in the year to try to line it up in, in part to try to line it up with um the the draft or with the all star break, but yeah, it used to be earlier. Um, I want to say like Marchish, so around the time that you know college uh, the play, college place playoffs, I should say, were like lining up, that was happening. Um, and I guess that makes it uh, easier, right? Uh, Counter wise, it made it easier for MLB teams. But the trade off to that was nobody cared. Like you put a no. draft on about major baseball and it's just, there's nothing to anchor it to. Right. Cause we know, fi- you know, NBA finals are over. You get a little respite NBA draft. Right. And college basketball has been over and we've been waiting to hear about these guys. We know NFL combine and then like NFL draft. And we know like that kicks us off. Then we have draft. Then it's a little bit of respite. And then it's like two a days and all that sort of stuff. And then it leads into the season. It's like all these other drafts have, a done a good job of making themselves their own event 
but they also kind of anchor to other parts of their sports calendar to let kind of as an indicator of where we are for that sport. Like, hey, we finished this and now we're going to this. Or like, because we have the draft, that means that this is going to start. I was out um, at a work event um, this past week and uh, the NHL draft was in like day two. I don't follow NHL at all, but still same sort of like anchoring around. I know that the Stanley Cup just finished, right? Stanley Cup finals just finished. And I was like, boom, and now we're in the draft. So I say all that to say, I'm with you. I like having it. I, I I can respect like professionally that that causes some issues, but yeah, I like yeah. anchoring the draft around like, hey, baseball fans or even just general sports fans, you can tune in to watch like the stars of today, and then we have this thing about the stars of tomorrow, right? It just got, yeah. and then and then like I think the other beef that people have is like the futures game is scheduled, um, like early. It's like a five o'clock game instead of it being prime time and it's like the same day as or at least last year it was like the same day or something maybe it was the same day as the draft or something like that like it was mm-hmm. a weird time and people were like oh they should each get their own platform I kind of yeah. like wrapping them all together because that's the other thing is you kind of have to tell that story more in baseball than mm-hmm. um, basketball or, or football because like uh, Victor I'm not going to butcher his last name like Victor gets drafted by the Spurs and it's just like, we're going to see him play like when the NBA season starts. Like, yep. We don't, we're not going to wait. Yep. Jackson holiday gets drafted by the Orioles. If you're just a general Orioles fan or even just a casual person, like, you're not going to hear, you're not going to see or hear Jackson holiday, even as right. good as he's been for a couple years. And to me, it kind of makes sense to say like, well, we have the draft. So you start to see these guys. And then lead that into the futures game, where it's like, here's these guys again, and now they are professionals and they're wearing the the, the hats of the team that they're on and they're they're out doing some stuff. And then we get into the All Star break where these guys are the guys now, like they are the people. To me, that kind of tells a story of like how the progression goes for the best and the brightest, right? Uh, now, logistically, that's easier said than done, right? Because, like, right. everybody has to play on one field and you have to time it out and, you know, TV rights and et cetera. But I'm on, I'm on, like, I'm on your page. I like having uh, the draft around the time of yeah. All-Star break. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, it, and especially as for tourism, too. Mm. You can make it, plan a trip to Seattle and you're you're going to get to do all of the stuff you can go and see the first round of the draft. You can go and see prospects play. You could, you know, do all this like a home run derby. It's all in one spot. I mean, I'm sure the city loves it. Um, Cause it's just more like you get all the families of the players and the players and like everyone. So there's just so much, I can't imagine getting a plane ticket to Seattle right okay. now. Like that must be insane, but um, it's still like you can be, it's, it's the hub of baseball in the world for that, right. you know, for those few days. And you, you, you can go there and, I mean, I, I can't imagine. I haven't done an, an all-star weekend. I've uh, yeah. never really been around one, which is yeah. unfortunate, but um, I definitely need to. And I think that that just adds to, that's like another reason to to save the money and then like spend, because it's like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to get all of my money's worth. Right. I'm going to see, I'll be able to see all of these things. Um, so I think that that adds to it too. Um, and speaking of the MLB draft, I wanted to do a quick prompt because when this podcast is re- pre- published Published. on wednesday we will be what five days from the draft roughly Roughly. um Mm -hmm. and we won't have another podcast before the draft 
So I wanted to ask you, if you had to predict how the first three picks of the MLB draft are going to go, do you have an idea? I definitely have have my own my own take here. Um, and we don't have to obviously talk about anything else in the draft. Just the first three picks are like the huge things right now. Um, so what do you think is going to happen there? Yeah, so a couple actually, so you're bringing up um, a couple of different things. So for scheduling purposes, uh, because yes, you are correct. Um, the MLB draft starts on July 9th. July 9th uh, will be, uh, or I'm all over the map here. My computer's not cooperating. Um, July 9th should be a Saturday. So we actually should have an episode that we are recording um, that day as the draft is happening. So it'll be a little bit more reactionary looking forward type pod by the time it comes out on uh the following wednesday um we are hoping to have a guest um from the picture list crew come with us yeah, uh, i will be out on a secret mission that none of you can know about until yeah, after the fact that's that's right that's right so it'll be it'll be myself and the guest while jake is um operating for you know he, he does his jason Bourne thing um but yeah so from a scheduling standpoint we will have a draft related podcast up on July 12th, which is Wednesday with all that being said, sorry for that, but you brought it up and that's a really good point with all that being said, what do I think is going to happen? I think right now, as it stands, I think Dylan Cruz and his quest for the dial of dollars instead of the dollars. See, that's Indiana Jones joke. Instead of dollar destiny, dollar dollars. Um, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> I went over my head, but I was okay. It's okay. <laughs> I got Indiana Jones on the brain, so that's, that's there. You go. Um, instead of doing that, I, I think um he's probably scared off the pirates, and so mm. I think that they go with Langford. And they oh, Langford, Langford, really? Yeah. Not Skeens? No. I don't think they go with Skeens. I think they okay. go with Langford. They get really good bang for their buck because Langford is a really yeah. good baseball player, but it's going to be cheaper, save them money, so they can mm-hmm. go either in the first round again or later on um, to get somebody. Now, who that somebody is, I don't know, but to go after somebody, and if they need to go over slot, they have that flexibility more. I think Skeens is pretty much locked in with Washington at two. Right, okay. Washington's too. Um, I think he's pretty much locked in there. I think they're not gonna pass on him. Yeah, I don't, yeah at that, that point, I don't think they pass. How 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 that goes, I don't know, but uh, I don't think they're gonna pass on him. And I think um, Detroit's falling over themselves to give Dylan Cruz whatever he wants. Um, which, by the way, like it actually plays to their it plays to the Tigers' hands because. Um, I, I well, I don't know. I guess technically he could offer leverage of being like he could go back to school if he doesn't get the dollar amount that he's seeking for, regardless of what team he goes to. But at the same time, yeah. it's like that's a big bet on yourself because yeah. as as those as you continue to drop in the draft, those dollars are diminishing for a mm-hmm. team. So then you're saying, I'm going to go back to school and do even more. And I'll be honest, I don't know what the 2025 or 2024 class looks like. Um, yeah. So I don't know if, you know, he's going to be the top of 
Back College guys, it would be uh, Jack Caglione and Tommy White. I think would be the biggest names as well. Okay. Right so, and then that, yeah. So that, you know, that's the, you, you got to, you know, because yeah. Caglione was pretty good, mm-hmm. right? And he's, he's got two-way the two-way piece. Yeah, he's got yeah. that going. Tommy White, that's teammate. Um, he's he's look good. Even though I, I don't, I will say, I don't think he's as good as Dylan Cruz necessarily performance-wise, but perhaps, I don't know what the models say, and I don't know what, mm-hmm. um, scouting wise what you know that uh forecasting is for what he could be but yeah man i so i say all that to say i think it's going to be Lankford one i think that will be the big like wow and then i think yeah. um then i think it ends up being skeins and then i think cruz goes to the tigers which that'll be interesting to see that as well mm-hmm. the only other permutation i could see of that is um the pirates going with schemes and kind of yeah. screwing up the whole board for the nationals i mean the tigers are are sitting in the the tigers are the ones that really are sitting in the in the best spot right because they're just like yeah. whoever is left we're going to take and we're going to be good right? i don't know about that i actually don't know about that so my so? my my uh thought process is i i think the pirates i could definitely see them going for langford i think it's personally i think it's more likely that they go langford than uh cruz mm-hmm um and then but i but i could also see i can see them going for skeins and i think his performance in the college world series is definitely affecting that too mm-hmm. um you know because like he was lights out the entire time mm-hmm. like dominant he looked like the most dominant pitcher in the world you know like and i think that that definitely affects it a little bit um and if they go with skeins which I think is, um, I would say it's maybe 50-50 between Skeens and, and Langford. I don't think it's as locked in as, as you do. but um, So I think that if they go with Skeens, right, I think then the Nationals go with Cruz. And then if if Langford is still on the board, I think the Tigers go with either um, Max Clark mm-hmm. or um, the other high school guy, Walter Jenkins, mm-hmm. I think it was his name. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think they go with one of those guys because the Tigers have the second largest bonus pool. Um money heading into the draft mm-hmm. and if the t- if the pirates go with um skeins mm-hmm. and give him the money he's due mm-hmm. all of a sudden the tigers are now sitting in a fantastic spot to be essentially in control right like they go a little bit under slot they save some money and then they can you know come back later and and spend the money and and pay up and, and get some good go come good value later on i mean and that's true and we know that the Tigers don't mind going high with high schoolers, right? You got Jackson Job, and, and so they have had a little bit of that in the past. I guess saving money is always a thing to think about with the draft. Um, that's true. And I haven't heard direct, like, signability concerns with Clark or Jenkins. But they do have that similar leverage of being able to say, like, hey, we're looking for a certain dollar amount. If we don't get that, we can obviously go to our commitment. Um, similar to Cruz being able to say, like, if I don't get the certain dollar amount, I'm coming back to LSU. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I said what I say I can't really argue against your logic though, right? Because the money does talk, and when it comes to the yeah. draft, um, so I yeah, I mean, like no one expects uh, the Orioles are like you know the I think they're probably yeah. the prime example of that, you know? Yeah, they've done it too. Um, yeah. so then in your scenario though. That means Cruz ends up where? Because you're saying it'll be Langford. So I think Cruz goes two, or not? Yeah, Cruz goes two. Oh, you're saying the Nationals, you're saying the Nationals take Cruz? Yeah, okay. I think Langford would drop a little bit, gotcha. which I don't think he should. To be clear, I think Langford is 
right up there with uh crews as far as like you know talent outlook goes like i like, like in, in fypd uh if i don't get crews i'd be thrilled with langford yeah you know yeah, like yeah. absolutely yeah absolutely yeah it will be it will be interesting and and that's another reason i think just just to wrap this piece up before we move i, I think um that's another reason why um it's good to have the draft anchored to or something when you get that sort of intrigue right every every you're always going to end up where you have a draft where it's kind of like a bum year and it's kind of like you don't really care about any of these guys you're always going this to have, is not right it's not that you're always going to have a draft where it's just a very clear number one like yeah the draft is good mm-hmm. but clearly it's this guy and then everybody else um and so there's not like a lot of intrigue there but when you have this sort of mm-hmm. draft, and ten, most drafts tend to go this closer to this way than not, where you can say anybody could be, you know, number one. Could be this guy, could be that guy. I mean, again, we went into the college preview um, episode way back in, what was that, March, April? Yeah. Um, and we we're talking about Chase Dollander and all this sort mm-hmm. of stuff. And he's nowhere to be talked about now. We talked with um, Bradley about kind of what what that change was going into the college world series and how his season hadn't really shaped up the way, you know, most would thought, um, Brett louder, you know, where's his draft stock, you know, continue to rise with his performance. So, uh, you know, we, we've said some of these names and, and all through all that time, we were only talking about the college players. We didn't touch the high schools at all. So like you said, Max Clark, does somebody think that Max Clark or Walter Jenkins is a better hitter, a better potential outfielder than, uh, a Langford or even a Cruz is and definitely cheaper, right? Then, then, uh, Cruz out of all those guys is looking to be. Um, so those are the questions that we will see answered this time next week. Um, tune in for more, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. Uh, we have a, we're going to talk through our predictions. Yep. How we, how we've been trending in our first half predictions going into the second half. And then Jake has a couple of, Interesting questions for us to talk about also related to the MLB draft after this. And we are back. Um, so yeah, prediction wise, we did a prediction episode um at the beginning of the season. And we're gonna go back and take a look and see how we're doing. Uh for the most part, I think we were pleasantly surprised to see we're doing pretty well. Right? Yeah. Would, you, would you say that? I'd say I'd say so. Pretty well. Um like a solid like C B minus maybe. Yeah. 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 Um, which I think when it comes to predictions, it's like it's pretty good. Okay. So here were the, the categories. We're gonna go kind of line by line. We talked about biggest surprise prospect, however we wanted to define that. Um, but this was obviously in in the positive sense, right? Somebody who's gonna rise. And so, Jake, you went with Robert Gasser, pitcher of Milwaukee Brewers. I think that's a good call. We just talked about him, you know, as a potential second-half impact prospect player. Uh, I went with Bryce Terrain. Had a really hot start. Mm-hmm. Cooled, has been optioned back and forth. So that one, I think, if we're giving points, I think that one goes to you. Uh, I think that's 1-0, Jake, if we're going to go in a, in a point system here. Um, <laughs> okay. Biggest disappointment. You had Kyle Harrison pitcher for the Giants. I had Brian Rokio. I remember saying I think he's going to drop out of top 100 prospects. Um, Harrison has been up and down. Uh, he's looked really good at times and still continues to have some command issues that yeah. are, you know, yeah. he's almost like a 20% walk rate. Yeah. It's been rough. 
Uh, he yeah. is at Rokio hasn't been great either. Rokio's not. I'm I'm looking to pull up Rokio's um WRC plus. I meant to have it up. Uh, he did get a couple promotions, but hasn't like he is hasn't had any a. sort of consistency in majors. And this is taking forever to load. Um, so I think this might be a, a push. I think we might get like a half point here. His yeah. WRC plus is 97 at Triple A this year, and that's yeah. he's played 68 games. And he's had like no pop either, right? Yeah, two home runs. Yeah. Uh, does have 16 stolen bases against 18 attempts, which is a career high for him. Um, 13.5% K rate, which is kind of like standard. Uh, does have his highest walk rate, 11.6. But yeah, um, no pop. Nine, no, well, I mean, it's 19 doubles, um, which is close to setting a career high. He hit 21 at double A last year. Hmm. Um. But yeah, I mean, the pop thing. I think that's the disappointment. Is he hit 13 home runs at Double A last mm-hmm. year, and uh, that was a high for him. And I think that caused people to think like, oh, there's a little bit more there. Um, yep. Even though he's only hit single digit home runs in every other season, um, yeah. and same thing. It, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, is this Andres Jimenez? Right, mm-hmm. and, it, yeah. and maybe maybe 2023 Andres. I mean, it's not 2022. Yeah, yep. Um, yep. So, yeah, so I think that's a push. I think we both kind of uh, predicted that well. Um, yep. So we'll say a half point, half point each. Okay. Um, post-hype breakout. So, Jake, you had – this is Josh Young, I'm, yep. I'm assuming. It just says Young, yeah. but I'm assuming it's Josh Young. Um, and I had Detmers and I also sprinkled in Pache. So I think if I have to rule – I think this goes to you because you picked one player and that player is breaking out. And I picked two and only one of them is doing mostly well recently. <laughs> and yes, even recently. Had, yeah, and he, even he had some up and downs. So I think I will give this point to you um, fully for, for calling Josh Young. Um, I am, you know, I've talked about Detmers and uh, rostering Detmers and kind of, so I kind of, my fate is kind of tied to him and I feel, <laughs> I feel very invested in his success. Um, but the recent, uh, I want to say three or four starts have looked, you know, much more of what we have been hoping to see from, um, Detmers. I always have to remember how young he is, right? He's 23. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, or 23, 20 going into 24. Um, yeah. Cause I brought him up recently on the podcast and you were like, oh, Jake, you're killing me. And yeah. like, no, like for real, like he's not that yeah, bad. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just. But but the recent you know recently he has been looking much more like what we've been hoping to see the prince who was promised that's what he's yeah, been looking right. more like. Um, but yeah, Jung uh, and we're going to talk about uh, Josh Jung again uh, later on as we get through categories. But yeah, he's been you know just doing what we <clears throat> excuse me what we've been uh, hoping to see him do just from jump. Like again, if we dial it back a couple of years, twenty twenty one, it seemed like he was going to come in and start the year as the starting third baseman for the Rangers before he got injured. Um, and start losing some time, and now here here they are, and I mean he's a part of that um, just dynamic machine that they have going in Texas. Uh, really dangerous lineup, man. Like that's like Braves mm-hmm. level. It's like mm-hmm. the Braves and them as far as just like if I don't have a pitcher who's who is like 
an ace, essentially, I don't yeah. feel good about starting them against those two teams. I'm like, right. can I not start them? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's especially cool because when they made the Seager and Semyon signings, it was like it was like the the meme of the um, I think it's like a Bugatti next to like a, a trailer, you know, like and it's like, what what is this, right. dude? What are you doing? Right. And now it's like they're like, see, this, this is, is what we were doing. doing. It just yeah. took us. It took us like I think it took them like a year longer than what they anticipated but they're right. like here we are um so yeah so i will i will uh i will give you the point there so that that puts you up what two and a half to one and a half is my math correct yeah one, uh, two, for the first three half. yes uh, um top pitcher by end of 2023 this one <laughs> yeah. this one is one of the swings and misses for both of us yes uh, jake had andrew painter who we have yet to see this in this actual season with his injury, which is definitely yeah. not, he definitely doesn't need Tommy John. <laughs> I feel like that's how Philadelphia, I feel like that's how the front office yeah. is. He definitely doesn't need Tommy John. His elbow just needs all these other things that aren't Tommy John. Um, right. But you did make a point here about some other players that you said. You did, you said Yuri Perez and, wait, hold on, explain this note. I'm going to lead. Yeah. Okay. So, I, cause this was, guys. so this was, I, I, I think I just tried to get to galaxy brain with this category. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I just talked too much. Um, uh, cause I was like, okay, so at the end of the year, like painter is going to be injured. So he's still going to be eligible. But I also think that Yuri and Tiedemann will be eligible, but painter, and you know, um, because I said that Yuri and Tiedemann wouldn't graduate. That was like my point. I was like, so I think they'll still be there, but painter currently has the leg up and like, he will be blocking them essentially for like the top pitcher Mm -hmm. just because he was there because of the injury. Um, and I was wrong about Yuri. Yuri's going to graduate. Um, I was not like, and and it's, he's 20 years old, uh, or 19. No, he's 20 now. He's 20. Yeah. He's 20 now. Just turned. Right. And so it's like, and that's not something that happens ever really. Um, so it's like, that wasn't exactly bad process, but I was like, I I don't want to bet on that. Right. Um, and Tiedemann honestly might have been promoted and gotten and graduated if not for his injury mm-hmm. too. So, um, and then I was like, okay, now, now I have these couple, I have these two guys that I really like that are like ranked between 80 and hundred and most prospect rankings. And I was like, I'm going to offer one of them as a dark horse. And I have it written on the outline, but I didn't mention it on the podcast. I had either Owen White, who I mentioned and talked about, and Owen White's been mid, um, taking a step back, got blown up in his major league debut. And the other guy that I was deciding between Owen White and uh, Bryce Miller, of course. Yes. Um, so it was a whole lot of hemming and hawing just to leave off the one guy that would have been a fantastic response. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I can do a little bit better because I picked just one pitcher, and that pitcher yeah. was Brandon Fott. <laughs> so I think we both lose this category. Yeah, no, that's a zero for both. That's a zero for both of us. Okay, top hitter. You had Jason Dominguez. I had uh, Jackson Churio. Um, first of all, top hitter was kind of hard to decipher. I guess we were saying, I think in the podcast, we were saying it's essentially the highest rated or highest ranked hitter or highest ranked, mm. you know, position player. Jackson Holiday was right there, but I don't think either of us thought he would take that big of a step forward that quickly. Who you were you saying? I'm sorry. Jackson Holiday. Oh, no. I Listen, right. there was no way. I Remember, right. so just to take this back, I wanted the Orioles to take Drew Jones. I wasn't even that big yeah. of a Jackson Holiday fan, which mm-hmm. I'm so glad to be wrong about that because Drew Jones yeah. has yet to play ball, essentially. Um, yeah. uh, yet another injury. I think I saw it's now his fourth injury since being oh, drafted um, yeah. by the Diamondbacks. So I was completely wrong about that, but I definitely wasn't banking on him ending up as being top 
prospect, which, like you said, right. would would have been a much better guess. Um, right. Dominguez has been good, not great. Churio, he's been okay. Obviously, Churio very young. He's adjusting to the level. I would not be out on Churio. Um, Absolutely. You know, some people ask questions like, again, this is one of those, uh, remember that development is not linear sort of things like he needed to run in this is why we we wanted him to get promoted because we needed to see him run into an obstacle and then figure out how to get around that obstacle and that's what he's been doing this season so i'm not out on churio but neither one of them are going to end up in that like top five position uh when it comes to prospect rankings come the beginning of 2024 uh so i think that's a zero for both of us there um ao rookie of the year Jake put uh, Gunnar Henderson. You did have uh, Walter Chuck yeah, as your dark horse. I hate Josh Young. I hate Josh yeah. Young. So this is my. Yeah. I think I, I get to carry this title as my win. And again, <laughs> we talked about this as uh, I think we talked about this in last episode. Just mm-hmm. making on counting stats with Josh Young. That's really what it yeah. came down to. Um, but really, he has looked good kind of across the board. But the counting stats. Mm-hmm. I think he has 16 home runs now. Um, obviously, it's through RBI and runs, again, being in that dynamic offense. Uh, the next one, so Jake had Garrett Mitchell as NL Rookie of the Year from the Brewers. I had Miguel Vargas. I, was, I wasn't I was even really, my heart wasn't really into that pick. Um, I just really couldn't come up with anybody else that I thought could compete. Yeah. At I think it was like, it was Corbin Carroll. I was like, let's try to, yeah. you know, I was like, like, who's the interesting yeah. kind of. Yeah. Who's yeah. somebody yeah. interesting? I didn't think Ellie De La Cruz would would be up and doing what he's doing at this point in time. I right. didn't want to do Cor- Corbin Carroll. Uh, but I'm giving you this category, Jake, and we talked about this off mic because I think uh, it, you made the point, actually, that you think Garrett Mitchell, if healthy, would be essentially in Joey Weimer's spot. And uh, I think we both agree that Mitchell is a better hitter than Weimer is. Uh, and Mitchell was doing quite well before he got injured, was showing pop, stolen bases, pretty good average. So I think I, I feel comfortable giving you the full point here because Miguel Vargas was never really going to challenge uh, for, for NL Rookie of the Year. Uh, I mean, I thought he had a decent chance to accumulate because, like, he was going to have a better shot at a job. And, like, he has gotten a lot of run, but his just quality of contact hasn't been there. Even though he has great plate approach, he just hasn't hit the ball as hard as we thought, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that ends up – I don't need a tally. I know, how to, I know how to estimate. Jake is the winner there. Jake is So the far. Winner. Jake, so far, so far we got half the season left. There yeah. is, you know, who knows? Who knows? Um, Miguel Vargas could just do something outlandish and and be that in the year. <laughs> that would be crazy. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, quite quickly, you gave two really good either ors versus mm-hmm. would you rather's, whatever you want to call them. Uh, I didn't put any stats in here. We can kind of just freestyle talk about them. One is pitching. So again, coming back to thinking about MLB draft. FYPDs, future prospects, you put Paul Skeens versus Roki Sasaki. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> that's good. I like that. Um, I'm a curmudgeon, man. Skeens just threw too many innings. I just, I don't see it ending well. I'm just be honest. I know, Sasa- okay. I know Sasaki okay. has, like, now you put him against Sasaki and, you know, again, the way they throw, you know, he has how many more inning so to speak on his arm just because of the way they pitch but just you know lsu's running out there and it's, it's 110 112 pitches and just oh like back-to-back starts and just, i just don't see it. and then you we talked about again like he ends up either in pittsburgh or dc most likely right like 
ain't like they have the greatest track record when it comes to arms, right? You got mm-hmm. the the two that they that Pittsburgh had, they dealt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I mean, like Rollins and Contreras hasn't been who we thought he would right. be. And, and and then you talk about DC, you, you can't not bring up Strasburg, who was electric for a mm-hmm. very brief period of time before it started being a bunch of arm trouble there. Um. So yeah, man, I just it that that's that worries me. I can't I can't lie. Uh Sasaki obviously on the other end is a bit younger, but um, you know, has accumulated quite a bit of of innings on his arm as well. Obviously, there's always an adjustment period. You're talking about a full-on adjustment period, not just uh league-wise, but you're talking about a different country, different culture, um, diet, all that sort of stuff that that plays a part, that is important, that is a thing. We don't know what team, you know, he would he would go to necessarily, and that would, you know, could potentially play a part as well. Uh, but if you're asking me, like, fantasy, FYPD, I get my choice. I'm rolling the dice with Sasaki. Yeah. 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 Now, to be fair, I don't think we'll, we'll have that choice. I think Sasaki has yeah. another couple of years, yeah. which sucks. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's the way it goes. He's still super young. And I think that, like, we notice it more because – I think it usually takes another few years. He's so young. He's such a phenom that it's like, we want him now, yeah. but like, it, you know, anyway, um, I, I think I agree with you, but I think I got there with a different process. Okay. Um, and, uh, so Sasaki, I think it's really encouraging for me that we've already seen him against major league hitters, mm-hmm. um, because he pitched in the WBC. And so like when the college world series was happening, there was all this talk and all this hype, like, Oh, Paul Skeens could pitch that I, if I had a dollar for every time an announcer said that during one of those days, he could games, be in the major leagues right now, right now he could go up to Boston because it's Sunday night baseball on ESPN. Of course it's an ESPN broadcast. He's like, Oh, he could go up to Boston right now and pitch against the Yankees and he'll be fine. No, no, he can't stop that. Um, and so it's like, you know, like, oh, he would be the best prospect in baseball right now, best pitching prospect in baseball right now. Or like, oh, he can go and be in a team's bullpen later this year. And I'm not buying that. I know the stuff is incredible, um, but he did have a big workload. I don't know if you want to, like, again, push him through immediately after that. Um, but I don't think he even could, like, if he didn't have the workload because it's, it's just such a different – like, he's facing college kids. He's facing – it's so many like even just the success rate of even the best d1 programs like it's not incredible these hitters are not at the same you know level and and like he's like oh he has a minuscule walk rate but he's like he doesn't really need to pitch outside of the zone right. he doesn't need to like nibble he doesn't need to work around hitters right. you know so just about everybody because absolutely half, no one's heading 102 half of the players that that could do damage are on his team anyway so yeah, right <laughs> No, absolutely. And so um, I think when he gets, he'll, he'll, he'll have his blow up starts and he'll take his lumps and whatnot. And I just think that you need to go through that in, in, you know, the minor leagues and he'll work through it. And I think he'll, will be fine, but I just think that like, he's not as ready, I think, as we would like to assume. Um, and then Roki Sasaki, we're talking about hypothetical Paul Skeens. Oh, he could face major league hitters. Roki Sasaki has already dominated major league hitters on a national stage. Um, he pitched for the WBC um, and was really, really good. I went back and watched um, the YouTube highlights of his start against Mexico um, before this podcast. And I mean, man, it's just, it's, it's Skeens, but it's even like a bit of a deeper, it's a bit of a deeper arsenal. Um, and he showed good control against, you know, better hitters. Uh, his splitter has multiple variations. Mm-hmm. You know, he can make it fade. He can make a cut a little bit. Um, he threw it at the top of the zone a couple times. Looked like on purpose. Like, and I mean, these guys have never seen him pitch before, and so um, 
you know, I think there was definitely an adjustment on all, all sides there, but I mean, like he's, he hits 101, 102 pretty consistently. Um, and then he also has like a wipeout slider. And um, so I think that it's, it's a good arsenal. It's a com- comparable arsenal, but the splitter is a huge difference maker yes. where Skeens, I don't think really has a standout third pitch right now. Um, I think he used it. He uses a changeup, um, and that's pretty solid, but I don't think it's really on the level of Sasaki's slider. Or if you, you know, say that his primary offering is or off speed is the splitter. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I like the arsenal as much, maybe a little better. Um, and then it's like, we've seen him, we've, he's been there. He's done that. He's right. gotten the opportunity against the world's best hitters. Right. Um, and I think it's just like he's a little younger. And I think, like you said, I'm kind of taking a chance on the on the international phenom there, because also the, the competition in even in Japan is uh, comparable to triple A. Yeah. And so, you know, he's facing hitters that have been in the big leagues. He's facing, you know, really accomplished uh, professional players over there and he's dominating. So I think I'd rather take the chance on him. But it sucks that we got to wait another like two, three years. It's again, sorry, I'll take a shot, I guess. If uh, if you have a drinking game set up, I'm making another NBA comparison, but it's kind of like the Luka Doncic thing, right? It's like, okay, yeah. you know, it's like this kid has been doing it against grown men for some mm-hmm. time. Like <laughs> not just a flash of hand, but like he's really been doing it um, and like taking his lumps and, and still coming, like still bouncing back. Uh, and that, that does mean something. So, okay. Uh, it's something like you say, it's not, it's a theoretical cause they're not going to be in the same draft class. They're not going to be in the same FYPD class, but it is something to just kind of note and it's fun little exercise. And on that note, we have, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, even though I'm looking at it. Munitaka Murakami or yeah. Dylan, Dylan Cruz. Look, I butchered Dylan Cruz's name. Um, so that's an interesting one, right? Uh, I'll be honest, I'm not as familiar with Murakami, so I'm just by default going to say Cruz. I know I've I've heard some chatter about Murakami, but I haven't really looked, you know, highlights or any sort of video or looked deep into stats. So I'm just going to punt this one kind of to you. I'm going to say Cruz just because I've seen Cruz over the last couple of years, a little bit more familiar. But what are your what is your stance? Yeah, so Murakami is closer uh, to being posted than. Um, Sasaki is, um, he is, tw- this is age 23 season, uh, right now. And, um, I think that he'll be eligible a year or two before Sasaki. So no, probably not this off season, but maybe next off season and probably the one after that. Um, and so, um, so he's a little closer, but he's kind of taken a big step back this year. And I know we didn't say, we said we weren't going to super bring up stats, but I went and looked just to kind of confirm the thoughts that I had that he had taken a step back. And after his huge season last year, where I think he like set the record for homers in a season for you know the for Nippon Professional Baseball, um, it was fifty six in one hundred and forty one games. He now has twelve in seventy games, hmm. uh, hitting two thirty where he hit three eighteen last year, three sixty on base percentage compared to four fifty eight last year. So um, I would be really interested to kind of like see more of like what's happening there. Um, I've been trying to follow more like accounts for that cover, like, you know, Japanese baseball more on Twitter. And I've seen, I haven't seen a whole lot about him. I think it's kind of, he's a bit more on the back burner, even uh, on from their kind of like the media and, and Twitter mm-hmm. that I'm trying to pay more attention to. Um, and so I still think that he has fantastic, you know, raw power. Um, honestly, maybe the WBC. Cause like he kind of was, he was, he was hitting like cleanup for the WBC team and, 
he wasn't, you know, he didn't quite, you know, I don't think he felt right. And there was some talk about that, how he's kind of adjusting. And maybe that did something mentally, you know, where it's like you're, you know, playing for the the national team and you're on a huge stage and you didn't quite come up. He had a big homer or two, but, um, you know, so maybe it's something like that with the adjustment or um, something there. But I still think that like the raw power hasn't gone away. Um, I think it's just the kind of the contact because like she's striking out way, way more too as well. Um so it looks like it's about 50% more um, striking out this year. So I, I think that it's, you know, just an adjust, another adjustment that kind of needs to be made. And he's done it so much already in that league um, that I think that he could come over to the big leagues and kind of just like can keep working. The raw skills are still there. Um, with all that being said, I think I would still take Cruz at this point um, because of just you know, proximity and how he's like a bit more well-rounded of a hitter. I think the contact skills are a bit different. Um, he is approached like he goes opposite field a bit more than, Mur- uh, than Murakami. And so, um, so yeah, I think I'll take Dylan Cruz here. Um, but if it was, if, if, if Murakami was doing something similar to what he had done last year, right. it would be a heck of a lot tougher. Right. Um, and, and even with, if he was performing to like his, the raw skills that he already possesses, it would be a lot tougher. So I think that it could end up flipping eventually. Um, but I think as it stands right now, I'll take Cruz because he's uh, just had a different spring, you know, in summer. Cool. Uh, appreciate the prompts, Jay. Appreciate you throwing those in. And uh, that's the show. Um, again, just housekeeping bit. And, and I'll try to, we'll try to make sure that we post this um, for those keeping up with all-star break and everything coming up. So we, are going to have this show published uh, set for July 5th to, to be published on July 5th. We are expecting to record myself and a special guest um, on July 9th, which is the Saturday of the draft uh, first round. And then that is set to be published on July 12th. So the following Wednesday. So that will be kind of a less of a pre obviously less of a preview because that won't be relevant by the time you guys hear it and really more of kind of a reaction, what we think, what we kind of forecast is going to happen. Um, and then we'll be deep into summer. We'll have all-star break and we'll keep it rocking and rolling the rest of July into August, et cetera, et cetera. But with that, um, anything else, uh, from, a from, a article or any other guest spots that you got lined up? Jake, or is just the same old, same old for you? Yeah, same old, same. The uh, pitcher's stash uh, article. And um, yeah, we kind of talked about that a little bit, how it's the landscape is changing a yeah. bit for minor league pitchers and how we don't, aren't seeing as many promotions. And so now I think in my mind, I'm gearing up for the sleepers for next year. Gosh. Like the guys that will kind of come up and keep prospect eligibility, but be, you know, competing for a rotation spot next year. You know, the guys like, you know, Wes Nasky, who I definitely swung and missed on, <laughs> um, even like Luis Ortiz and Ryan Nelson and um, others that kind of came up for a quick bit last year. And we were able to see them and, and talk about them in the offseason. I think now it's kind of focusing on those guys that are going to just come up for a couple starts, have some data on them and then talk, talk about them for what they can do next year. So I think that's kind of where I'm pivoting now with that. Yeah. One name real quick, one name that we had talked about uh, before we started recording Kate Povich for, for the mm-hmm. Orioles yeah, again. Um, but that's a name where ERA doesn't look great at all. It was even higher than what I anticipated when you were telling me, um, but definitely has some interesting stuff and has moved his way up the system and knowing that the, uh, the Orioles need, they need all the pitching help they can get. Um, both right. in the bullpen, I think 
the bullpen is steady, but not as rock solid as it could be. And we definitely know that from a starting pitching standpoint, we talked about it multiple times, but they definitely are not in a position to, uh, to compete with some of the other contenders that are on the market. They can definitely add. Um, and sometimes you can just add for cheap internally by, by having a young arm. So Povich would be the type of name that I would anticipate being on that pitcher to stash list. As you look, like you said, towards sleepers for next year. Um, I got a prospect watch list going. Um, I'm definitely going to be interested, especially as we pivot now into the second half of MLB season. The uh, minor league season has technically started their second half. We won't have to talk about the weirdness of that, but um, definitely looking forward to seeing some guys that were injured returning um, to action in, in full. Uh, definitely looking at some pitchers that uh, were secretly surprising and seeing if they can sustain. Uh, so the prospect watch list is right in the sweet spot. Um, one of my favorite parts of the year uh, because we get to see, you know, some movers, some shakers. This is where, you know, um, in the next couple of months, I was able to see, the Evan Carters last year, the Manzardos, uh, those types of guys that you start to sort through leaderboards and look at performance and you're like, ah, this guy's doing really, really good. Um, so excited to see how that takes the, um, where that takes the prospect watch list. Um, as always, want to remind listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our picture list pods on the picture list network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of picture list for you to find, listen and subscribe. As always, you can find me on Twitter at inside fastball, capital I, capital F. And you can find me on Twitter at Jake Mach, M-A-I-S-H. You can, of course, find the podcast itself, publishing our um, podcast out via Twitter as well. Um, that is at, on, uh, at PL on the farm. Uh, so you can follow us there to keep up um, with the recent episodes. With that being said, I hope you all enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs>